Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. We are continuing the series in the Apostles' Creed. As we just read this um, wonderful line, it's kind of like one of those lines that just kind of like, you say it and you don't really, you don't really think about it. You may just kind of gloss over it, maybe as you recite it in church or um, you've memorized it. Um, this line, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only son, um, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Um, we're going to focus on this, and you might find that there's a lot more going on here than you may have realized. So why don't I just pray, and we will dive right in. Heavenly Father, we just simply ask that you would come and be with us. Lord, you came to earth. What a wonderful thing. Um, and we know that even now your Holy Spirit is with us and present and is giving us peace, uh, giving us wisdom, giving us understanding of this text. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, do your work tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, you probably have some time blocked out. Maybe you're going to be studying during it, but there's a big debate on it. I don't know if you've heard. And the debates are always about, you know, trying to figure out what people actually say about certain policies on things, right? Like, maybe you've just been loosely following the election, but now it's like, all right, let's actually hear from their own mouths what they have to say. And a discerning person is going to say, I like this about what he says, and this about what he says, or, or maybe you just say, I like most of what he says, and these couple things I'm not so sure on. You know, a discerning person, you would be called discerning if you don't buy into their list of policies wholesale, right? It's very rare to find a candidate, uh, especially in, in this country, uh, that you're just totally sold out for where every single thing they say, everything, every single thing they stand for, uh, you're all in. So when it comes to religion, um, instead of calling you discerning um, to kind of pick and choose, people, if you say, like, I'm going to pick and choose certain doctrines, you know, like, maybe I'm okay with what Nathan's been talking about. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, and then this conceived by the Holy Spirit, like, whoa, like, what does sex have to do with this? What is going on here? Um, it might be something where you're like, okay, it's also like, that's a little weird. That's a miracle. And I'm not so sure what I think about those. But then you go on and it says some other nice things and maybe you um, leave church and you're all right. Um, Christianity is not like that. It's not just a list of propositions and you have to figure out, are you like, do you believe in 51% of them? And if you believe in 51% or more, then you're a Christian. And if you believe in less, you're not or something else. These doctrines are not just these discrete, separate propositions. They actually all hold together in a perfect unity and a perfect system. And if you take one away, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Um, 
a while back, this theologian Jay Gresham Machen wrote this uh, really seminal work on the virgin birth of Christ. The entire book is about that. And he says that no one denies that the Bible says, at least, you know, what we can see the evidence tonight, that in Scripture it says that the Holy Ghost caused this birth of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He's saying that no one disagrees with that. The only question, I'll read the quote, the only question is whether in making that representation the Bible is true or false. And so what do we say of this? Briefly, we can say this of it, that if it is correct, the Christian religion, as it has existed for some 1900 years, must now at length be given up. It is not this or that element of the Christian religion that is here at stake, but all elements of it, or rather the Christian religion as an organic whole. Now, mind you, he's talking about this one little doctrine, the virgin birth of Christ. If you take that away, if that's false, then all of it is pretty much worthless. It's a pretty radical statement. Um, I want to tonight try to explore why that's the case. Why the virgin birth, the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is so important. Not just in terms of this theory, these ideas and how they hold together in unity, but for you and for me in terms of our daily experience and walk with Jesus. It's extremely important because if Jesus didn't come down, if the Holy Spirit didn't cause um, Jesus to be born in this virgin's um, womb, then we would not have a savior. We would not be redeemed. We would be damned. This is extremely important. I, I also want to recognize that when we're talking about this kind of miraculous or supernatural event, um, our alarms go off, right? We, we are automatically, as modern people, suspicious of anything that's not explainable through empirical or scientific methods. And um, there's a philosopher who, who talks about this. He calls it the imminent frame. He says, secular people or people today are only okay with what they can observe and what they can see in the world around them and verify to be true. And so this breaks through and busts up the imminent frame. It says something happened and we have no scientific exploration or explanation for it. Now, I want to start by talking about what exactly do we mean when we say Jesus was born of a virgin. And then I want to move on to, okay, why does that matter? So let's talk about just what do we actually mean when we say this? Well, we mean that God somehow brought about the biological matter necessary for conception of a fully human baby through supernatural means without the help of man. In this case, Joseph. We see this in, in Luke 1, 34 through 35. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How can I have a baby since I've never slept with anyone? I'm not married. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we have limits to what we can explain. Um, this incredibly smart uh, theologian, he has a PhD both in biblical studies and a PhD in mathematics from none but Harvard University. His name is Vern Poitras, and I found this of all places in an old skateboarding magazine called Vice, who's now have, has their own news um, channel and website. He says this, and this is a, a mathematician educated at Harvard, um, and he says this, the Bible is not getting into all the technical de details. And this article was specifically about the virgin birth. God knows all the technical details, but his purpose in the Bible is not to satiate modern scientific curiosity, but to tell us what we really need to know from the standpoint of salvation from the standpoint of our personal understanding of ourselves and our relation to God. So if you have questions about how this works, you know, if you maybe are a human physiology or pre-med major, we don't know all of the details. We must admit a certain level of limit in our finite minds to how this supernatural event happened. Now, how do we know and why is it important that Mary was a virgin? In Matthew 1.18, oops, sorry, getting ahead of myself. Oh, man. Some good stuff ahead, guys. <laughs> In Matthew 1.18, it says this. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now betrothal is a traditional um, way that people were engaged. They were betrothed and it was really, really serious. It was way more serious than uh, an engagement today. You actually had to file essentially for divorce if you wanted to negate or annul a, uh, a, a betrothal. Uh, so it's a little different, but what's important is that they had not yet married. Okay, back to the verse, Matthew 1, 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. Now that's a euphemism for before they slept together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay. You guys know how this normally works. This was only possible because of God's miraculous work. Now, it wasn't made possible because Mary performed a miracle. It wasn't possible because of any um, strange explanation that we could think of. It is only possible because God worked. Um, Mary was an incredible um, woman. She was a recipient of God's blessing, of God's grace as the mother of Jesus. But from the Bible, we have no reason to believe that she in and of herself was sinless 
or that she remained a virgin her entire life. Um, and we know that because Jesus has brothers, maybe even sisters, his, his brothers are talked about. But what's important is that Jesus was sinless because his father was God. Because his father was not Joseph, because his father was God, he was able to override or overcome the thing that had weighed every single person down for in the entire history of humankind, that which is sin. He was able to overcome that because he was the Son of God. Now, I just read the quote um, about that we don't have all the answers. This is kind of all that we know, that Mary was a virgin. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Vern Poitras reminds us that the important thing to consider is what does this have to do with salvation and our relationship with God? So that's where I want to turn now, is what exactly does this have to do with us? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because the divine conception, the, the virgin birth, teaches us that Jesus was both divine and human. Now, I, I think I quoted Lord of the Rings last time. Um, I have a soft place for sci-fi. I don't read any sci-fi, but I love to watch it. Um, I also have a soft place in my heart for superhero movies. I don't read any comic books, but I love the movies. So, first of all, sci-fi. Let's talk sci-fi and superheroes just for a little bit. In sci-fi, there's this trope, and it's, it's a cyborg. I, I'm sorry, it's, it's a humanoid. It's a robot that looks like a person, right? The, the, the top left photo is an actual robot that somebody made, and they, they gave it this, like, skin... Um, obviously, they didn't finish it with the hair and everything, but it, it looks incredibly lifelike. But you can see that underneath, it's a robot, right? In the um, HBO show Westworld, this is what the show is all about. Um, this, this picture here is of a character who's actually a robot, but she looks completely human. All right. When we think of Jesus, sometimes we actually conceive of him like this, that he was divine on the inside, and then he just had this like exterior of what looked like a, a male, a, a human male. That, that, he, that he kind of took on the appearance of a person, but he wasn't actually a person. He had something else um, going on there. Now, let's talk about superheroes for a little bit. I'm, I'm going to try to connect all these things together here in a little bit. Superheroes. Now, superheroes are a little different, right? Because they are, most of the time, so I, I know they're technicalities, most of the time they are normal human beings who've been given or added on the superpower, right? And so you have Spider-Man who all of a sudden can shoot web out of his wrist. Um, you have Iron Man who has this exoskeleton suit. Uh, and then you have Cyborg, right, um, who is like this, you know, amalgamation of these robotic elements and a human. Um, so I, I think you get the drift here. What we do with Jesus is we think, oh, well, he was just a man. 
he was a really, really special man. And at some point, God decided to add on him these divine attributes. Okay, let's piece this all together. What's wrong with both of those conceptions, the sci-fi conception and the superhero conception? Both of them are false because Jesus was uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, which means he is fully human and fully God. He is both. Somehow, he is fully each of these. We can't explain it by either of these analogies. There were so many different thoughts, so much writing going on in, in the early um, time of the church that in 451 AD, these guys in Chalcedon all got together and they came up with this formula that really has not been perfected since. It, it was just like they kind of nailed it. Um, and what it was doing, it was addressing all these different false teachings um, that were going around. And they used these words to describe it that Jesus had two natures, meaning divine and human. And these two natures were inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, and inseparably united. There, there was a perfect union, and they were uh, perfectly whole. Uh, Jesus was not 50% human and 50% divine. Somehow, he was 100% human and divine. So, why does that matter? <laughs> we, we understand that this tells us about the div divinity and humanity of Jesus, but why does that matter? Well, it matters greatly. It means for us that something new has happened, something new is made possible, and someone is now here with us and for us. Let's go through each of these. Something new has happened. There is a new creation that's a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. This had been the long expected Jesus. This ancient pro prophecy that shows up in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman, Eve, would one day crush the serpent. I love this illustration because it shows that on the cross, that defeat happened. Uh, Satan has a mortal wound because he came to earth, because he was the seed of a woman. He fulfilled this ancient prophecy. Another prophecy that he fulfilled from Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord will give, uh, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. I love this picture because it's Eve with the fruit that she had just eaten. And this artist has has pictured what if they met? What if the Virgin Mary and Eve had met? They would know that this is the, the son that's to come when God comes and he dwells with us. 
and he overcomes the curse of sin. This is what's happening here. And to tie it back into what we talked about last week, this is the Word, the Son of God, the Logos, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This is how we see the fullness of Jesus. This is how we see the glory of God. We see him face to face. Remember the, un, uh, the, the, the mediated presence of God. This is called the incarnation. God has become flesh. The word became flesh. This is so, so important because something new is now made possible. What is that something new? In Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, what does this mean? Jesus is the second Adam. Remember that, second Adam. This is not Adam 2.0. This is second Adam. Um, Adam received a command from God. Adam and his wife Eve broke that command. This is what is referred to as the law. Now, every human is under that law. And if we don't follow it perfectly, we are condemned. Adam screwed up. Just like you or I would have screwed up. But Jesus is the second Adam in that he's still under that law. He has to live perfectly up to the agreement that God had made with man. And he's able to do it. He's born under the law. And he's able to redeem us who are under the law. He had to become like us. He had to become one of us in order to rescue us, in order to receive us as adopted sons. Um, another verse that kind of illuminates this and connects these two ideas, John 1 again, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, meaning anyone who believes in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How was Jesus born? Not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. How are we born again? Not on our own, not by our own will, but because God supernaturally intervenes. Friends, our, our salvation is possible because God came down and rescued us. There's um, from uh, West Wing, a great story um, about this man who was down in a pit. That doesn't happen very often these days, but he was down in this pit and he couldn't get out, right? And this, this one man comes by and he says, oh, um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go get you a ladder and I'll come back. And this other guy, you know, throws down a rope and then he just passes on. Um, and, and then so, so on, and, you know, people offer sympathy from above. They're like, hey, we're praying for you down there. And he's still down in the pit, still down on the bottom of this pit. And then this person comes along 
he sees this man down in the pit. He jumps down in the pit. And he says, what are we going to do now? He says, well, I've been in a pit before and I've gotten out. So I'm here to help. God came down. He entered into the pit of humanity. And he knows how to rescue us, how to get us out. He came down to be with us, to rescue us. This is how our redemption is made possible. If he had not become human, if the word had not become flesh, this wouldn't have been possible. Lastly, someone is now here with us and for us. He's with us because he knows our suffering. In Isaiah, it says that um, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was one from whom mid hi men hide their faces. We always think of Jesus as this popular, handsome, fun-to-be-around person. He was a man of sorrows. He was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. What this means is Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like when others say stuff and it hurts deep. He knows what it's like to experience grief and hardship. He knows what it means to be hated. Jesus came down and he's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He knows our suffering. He's with us. Moreover, he understands our temptation. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like in those dark moments to experience this temptation that seems to be just incessant and it won't go away. He knows what that is like. He's been there. He understands. He knows. He's also for us. He took our place. You and I each deserved to die for our sins. But Jesus came down because of uh, the virgin birth. He could be propitiation, meaning he took our place. The punishment for sin, he took on his own shoulders. He had to do this as a human because you and I are humans. So he took our place. He's for us. And he's also for us, meaning he fights on our behalf. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, in John um, 16, he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You remember something so striking about that passage in Luke. He says that, that this son that you're going to have, Mary, he is that promised son of David. And he will be this eternal king that will reign forever. 
Jesus is that. He has overcome the world. He has passed through it. He knows what's on the other side, and he's telling us to take heart. Because it's true, we have tribulation. I don't know any of us who would say there's no tribulation. There is. We might be experiencing um, that kind of tribulation, that kind of trouble in our lives now. And because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we can take heart. In summary, if there's not the conception by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, there's no cross. There's no redemption. There's no salvation. These things hold together. They are, are an organic whole, as Machen said. Jesus is um, here with us. When he left to be in heaven, he gave his spirit. He still is with us by his spirit, though not physically. But physically, he's in heaven, not seated at the right hand of God. But his spirit is with us. And we can pray to him. We can experience that presence here and now. One of the ways we experience that presence is through prayer. So why don't I just end in prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask again, Lord, would you be with us? And now as we're ending, would you go with us? Lord, there's um, so much in this world that uh, weighs us down, makes us want to give up. And how uncanny it is that this small thing, this angel coming to Mary a long time ago could be such good news for us. Lord, I pray that we would believe it, that we would understand it, that we would work this truth into our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.